today. Uh, we're finishing off, this is week four of our relationship series, Relationship Goals, and our goal for this week is to improve our communication, improve our communication in, in our relationships of how we, we deal with one another, how we more effectively communicate, uh, how we become people of love, compassion, kindness, and forgiveness. And so we've been looking through the book of Ephesians, uh, particularly chapter four, um, and so I wanted to, as we finish up, I wanted to go back through a little bit of what happens in Ephesians 1 through 3 and, and into 4 today as we get started as a, a kind of a reminder, refresher. And so this letter is written by St. Paul to the Ephesians, to the church in Ephesus. And Ephesus is a, it's a city, in, it's a Greek city, it's a large Greek city. And just two years prior to Paul writing this letter, he had great success uh, proclaiming the gospel in Ephesus. And now, two years later, Paul finds himself in prison, and he's writing this letter and reminding the Ephesians what the gospel is all about, about what God did in Jesus. And so he, in, in verse 10 here, he reminds the Ephesians what the purpose of the gospel is, what God did in Christ, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And so Paul begins then to lean in to some of his Jewish heritage, and, he, and he, he then leans into that. This is a reminder of what God was doing with Abraham when God made a covenant with Abraham, that God was going to make Abraham's name great, that God was going to give Abraham land. He was going to bless him with many descendants, as numerous as the stars, and that God was going to use Abraham and his descendants to be a blessing to all people. And Paul says then, in Ephesians here in verse 13, that he's going to then, we now are grafted into that same promise, that you are grafted into that same promise, that God is bringing unity to all people through you. And then there's this long about what the gospel is in, verses, in chapters one through three of Ephesians. And then we get to chapter four. And there's a big therefore, and if you grew up in Sunday school, you might have ever heard of this. If there's ever a therefore, you have to ask what it's there for. Anyone? anyone? Yeah, yeah, I see a couple of nods, yeah. And so Paul has, has now laid out what the gospel is, about bringing unity to all things on he in heaven and on earth. And now there's a big therefore, and he's now laying out in chapter 4 that we live in that same promise, that same power, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead now it works in us to do that same work, that we can experience that same power in how we live our lives. Not that we, Paul's prayer for us is not that we would just know that that power is at work in our lives, that we ourselves would experience it, that we would experience it in our lives. And that's where we start off today, that we would experience that same power to transform our relationships. But we live in a world where if you've ever uh, encountered, you have, probably have these people at work, like those people, you know, who I'm talking about. Uh, they're, they're, they can at times be uh, maybe those arrogant people, and, and they oftentimes kind of think they know it all. They always have the right answer. Um, they've been listening to the right podcast. They've been reading the right books. Always their sources are perfect in everything that they always get the great information. They never know they're wrong. They can be annoying. They can offend us. They can be frustrating. Those people, right? We live in a world with those people. 
If they're in this room, don't point, don't stare right now. If they're sitting next to you, please play cool. We live in a world with those people, and it often interferes with us experiencing that unity that God wants in our lives, in our relationships. We struggle at times with that because of those people. We find ourselves living frustrated. We find ourselves living angry. We find ourselves living offended. But I will tell you right now that I, my marriage has never been better because I've been angry. I've never had a better conversation with someone because I entered that conversation offended. I've never experienced a relationship improve because I've been frustrated. There's no wins in it. There's no wins in living our lives frustrated, angry, and bitter. And so God calls us, in spite of all that, to love. Even when we're frustrated, we're angry, we're bitter. And so we're going to read here in chapter 4. We're going to close out our series here at the end of chapter 4. So if you've got your Bible with you, I invite you to turn to chapter 4. If you've got it on your phone, we're in uh, chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 26. And Paul here writes, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. And so when we get frustrated and angry, when we get offended, I know in my own life, I I find myself then rehearsing those hurts over and over again in my head. You know, they did that, and then they did that, and I can't believe they said that. And I live my life constantly having this conversation in my head. I constantly then begin to do what Paul tells us not to do, right? I give the devil a foothold in my life. And uh, I came across last night, I was scrolling on, on Instagram and, and saw a, a reel of a friend of mine from I had probably talked to in like 20 years, and he was doing uh, like one of those like bouldering rock climbing things like at a crazy angle, and it was really fancy. I'd never seen this before. It was like they would like light up, like which one he had to go to next, like this is whole nother level rock climbing. And... Um, you know, when you look up the definition of what a foothold is, the top definition is, is literally, i.e., climbing, a place where you can securely put your foot to gain support, to climb higher. And I have to be honest with you, when I was in high school, I was absolutely terrible at rock climbing. Or, like, when you'd go to these, like, indoor rock climbing, it's not really, like, rock climbing. I'm sure there's probably some of you that do, like, like cool rock climbing, actually. Uh, but I, used to, I remember, like, going, and uh, I was absolutely terrible at with it because I would I would find myself wanting to like almost do like a pull-up I don't know why and about 10 seconds in like I was just like shaking because I wouldn't use my legs and eventually now later in life I have learned that you actually like like they're your strongest muscles for a reason they're big so you can actually push yourself up from those footholds 
And when we live our lives and rehearse those hurts over and over again, we begin to give the devil a foothold into our lives. We give the devil access to our marriages. We give the devil access to our friendships. We give the devil access to our children. We even give the devil access to our church. And so I, I want us to imagine for a second, yeah, the devil's leading his, his, like, his board meeting. He's got all his minions lined up around the table, and, he, and he's whiteboarding the strategy. And the devil wants, the main goal of the devil is to, is to hurt God and to harm God's people. And so he, he's lining up like, what's our, our uh, rule of three strategy of how we're going to accomplish this goal to hurt to break God's heart and hurt God's people. And so the first thing that the devil does when we give him a foothold is he creates then, I have to remember all my Ds, he creates discord among us, right? He creates discord in our marriages, our friendships. He creates discord even within our churches. He gets us arguing with one another. He creates division. And then the second thing that the devil does in our lives when he's scheming against us, when, we give, when we've given him a, a foothold then, is he diverts us. He diverts us from the attention of which we are called. We each have a purpose, and at Horizon, we have a purpose to shine light and ignite change. And so many times I've seen churches that have been diverted from their purpose. They start arguing with each other, and then all of a sudden their, their attention now is distracted. They become distracted of what they were called to. And then the last thing that the devil does is then he begins to devalue our witness. When we're arguing with each other and we're distracted in life, our witness now is conflicted. So often, Christians are known for what we don't like. We become angry people. We become those people to other people in our own lives. When we live with discord, when we're diverted from the mission and our witness now is devalued. And so, Paul goes on to write here, if you are angry, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. That's Paul's solution for not giving, letting the, the devil have a foothold is not letting the sun go down while you are angry. And I have to admit that uh, my wife, Erica, had, had taught me this lesson very early on in life, um, that we were not going to have, uh, we were going to have to settle an argument before we went to sleep. And I, I, the thing here with Erica is that sleep and bed are different things. You might can go to bed angry, but you will not go to sleep angry, right? <laughs> And I, so I don't know if this applies to any of you, but there are some unwritten rules that I have learned in this process of being in relationship with Erica. First rule of, of fighting when you are in bed but not asleep is that you have to be back-to-back. -back. Like, you're not facing each other. And if you got that, you, you're probably getting a point in the argument if you're, if you're doing that well. So um, the second then is, is, uh, is, is you don't really use words when you start this argument. Like, it's a lot of, like, ah, ah. So you, get, you score, like, I think, like, half a point. It will like, every huff. It's like a half a point system on the huffs. 
Um, and then, you know, every now and then you got to like rearrange a little bit and you got to throw the shoulder like a little harder than you did the last time. So that's a good, I mean, if it's a good shoulder throw, like that's a whole point. And then you get an extra, I think this is like a two point conversion here. If you take the sheets with you and you take all the covers, like that's a whole nother level of fighting in bed, right? Going to bed angry and going to sleep angry are two totally different things in our household. And so there probably has been some nights where we haven't slept for like three days because we, we didn't go to bed angry, right? Or we didn't go to sleep angry. You might have gone to bed, right? But we, we, we still had to settle that out. The one way you can actually reverse the point thing, I forgot to mention this, is if your feet, if, you, if your feet ever start to drift into like enemy territory, like that, you lose all your points right there. Like if you, if you touch toes, mm, nope, you just lost all your points. You're not winning this argument now. Don't, don't let the sun go down while you, while you still are angry. We're not going to sleep until we settle this. That's, uh, that's Erica's quote for sure. But, what, but let's, let, you know, all kidding aside, what would our, how would our relationships look if we actually practiced this? If we actually would go and apologize on the same day and recognize the hurt we caused as the offense? What would that do to our relationships right there? What would that do to our relationships? And so Paul kept going, do not let any unwholesome talk coming out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And so I, I've just got a few suggestions right here. A few suggestions for your, any relationship, whether it's a marriage, a friendship, at work. The first is, is, is no name calling. I mean, we're not in sixth grade, even though it, it feels like something I shouldn't have to say, like, but we do it. Like, why do we do it? We, we call people names. We name call. No name calling. No unwholesome talk. The second thing that I've learned, and I, I learned this while coaching football um, for several years, and I coached the running backs. And there's nothing worse than when you're the running backs coach and your running back fumbles the ball and loses the fumble, not only, like, you like get pretty angry when they fumble it, period, but like losing the fumble, like that's a whole nother level. And you know, very early on when I, I probably started coaching when I was like 26, and you know, I, I wanted to act tough and be that coach, and like you would wanted to get like it like in their like face mask and like grab it and do that whole like everything's like coming out and you're like spitting and like snots flying out at them, and you're angry, and you wanted to yell at them and scream at them, and they knew they lost the ball, they were already pretty darn upset, like. I didn't need to belittle them even more. When we're having arguments, we're fighting, when we're angry, we've got to tone it down a level. No yelling. It's not, no one's life has ever been changed because someone yelled at them. Let's keep it real, right? And the, the same, I think, can go for the internet. Don't be that person. Okay, this, this is what, so one other thing those, those people do. Like, who types in all caps? Like, that's really going to make you, like, like, people are going to listen to you all of a sudden now because you're typing in all caps? Like, no. <laughs> Tone it down. When we actually are able to engage in a conversation, that's where the world can be changed, where unity can be brought, where our relationships improve. The next is, uh, I have to admit, I majored in history in college. Um, the other thing I think that can improve our relationships is don't be a, a history major in an argument. 
bringing up things that happened 10 years ago, three weeks ago you did this, four years ago you did that. It's not going to help carrying this laundry list of hurts into the argument. That's why Paul tells us, don't let the sun go down on your anger tonight. Don't let it happen tonight. The next thing I, I think is, is practical advice, you've probably heard a lot of the, all these things before, is always and never. Let's eliminate them in, in our arguments and fighting. You always do that. You never take out the trash. You always leave the toilet seat up. Like, when we live in these hyperboles of, it's just not helpful, because there's, there's, there's exceptions to all those things. We've never lived our lives to always hurt you. We've never lived your life never doing this. Like, People, yes, they mess up, and we've got to learn to grow in grace, to be people of kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. So let's try to avoid and eliminate always and never in our arguments and fights. It's going to, improving the communication right there will begin to improve our relationships. And though I, if you're in a, in a married relationship, there is never an instance where it's okay to, to, to threaten divorce as a way to manipulate something. It's just never okay. Um, and then I think the final thing I would say is, is uh, don't start quoting me tonight when you have an argument. Like, don't. So the last rule, I think this is like rule number seven, never quote your pastor in a fight, all right? That's not okay. I don't want to be dragged into it. So don't, don't do that tonight, please. <laughs> do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So Paul then goes on to tell us, get rid of all bitterness, all bitterness, rage, and anger. All bitterness, rage, and anger. Who's here, who's ever heard of like some righteous anger? You ever heard that like phrase? It got thrown around, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I, started thinking about that phrase and you know we take righteous and anger and we put them together and we've sometimes it seems like now we're trying to justify anger as like a good thing um, and then I, I started to apply that same kind of compound wording I guess you could call it um, to uh, the other like deadly, seven deadly sins what are some of the other deadly seven ah, seven deadly sins what are some of the other ones greed, greed so yeah greed so let's Righteous greed. Does that, does that like sound like something like, I've got some righteous greed today. Like, yeah, I'm excited about that. Uh, yeah, sloth, like righteous, like righteous laziness. Like that's, that's, like that's a winner right there. Yeah. So it made me start to wonder, like, is that really a thing? Like righteous anger. Like, you know, I just have some holy anger. I got to deal with this. Uh, and in particular in the church with pastors, I, I've heard this a lot, like righteous anger. Uh, but how silly is that in some ways? <laughs> like we would never be okay with that in the other, the other seven deadly sins. And I think the same thing applies when we start to, to peel that back a little bit. Um, like, because we, we apply that at oftentimes, like when we're having to deal with those people, like if you knew who I was dealing with, like, yeah, of course you would have some righteous anger too with me. But yet, Paul, Paul tells us, get rid of all bitterness, all anger, all rage. And so, to get rid of all angerness and bitterness and rage in our lives, we've got 
to then people that are, are practicing how Paul ends chapter 4 here. We've got to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. Just as Christ God forgave you. And so I, uh, on Friday, I um, volunteered with, with several other volunteers from Horizon here at Shearmonte Elementary, and it was their kind of like the end of the quarter celebration for all the kids that had great behavior in the previous quarter and got um, some extra kind of like a half an hour essentially of like recess. Like we ran different games and activities for them. There was popcorn and, and music and fun. And uh, the game that I was assigned to run, I didn't do a great job of it. It took me a little, had a little bit of a learning curve. But by the fifth time the fifth graders came, um, I had it mastered. And so um, we would circle them all. Uh, we, we did groups of eight. We'd circle them up. And I had a balloon that was blown up. And the group would all kind of start like out here uh, with their hands. And they could, they had to, the goal was I'd, I'd toss the balloon into the middle of the circle. I'd start, start the timer on my phone um, and see how, how long, like what group could keep the balloon up the longest. They, there was two rules. The balloon couldn't touch the ground or the timer stopped. Or if they let go of holding each other's hand, the timer stopped. And, you know, they could um, use their arms, uh, their head. Their, they could use knees, kick, you know, anything that would keep the, ball, the balloon up. There was, no, there was no really restrictions on that. And needless to say, they, when a group would start doing it, they were terrible at it. Because they'd all, you know, they'd all have started like this. The boys, you know, and girls all, everyone has cooties, and, like, they didn't want to be close to each other. Um, and then also, there's, like, a franticness, like, when you, I mean, you're dealing with fifth graders. Like, they would want to hit the ball, like, or the balloon, as like, hard as they could. And it would just, like, fly off. It was a little breezy out. And now they're, like, chasing it across the field, trying to go get it again. But eventually, as they would work through this, they would learn that they needed to be a little closer together. The circle got closer. Those touches on the balloon got a little softer. They realized that they could stay in a circle, a tighter circle, when they worked together, when they just nudged the balloon up. Um, and I think eventually the, the, the longest group got about a little over two minutes of keeping this balloon up. And I think the same thing applies on how we often practice forgiving one another. Like, we make the decision, yeah, I'm going to forgive, but then we kind of, like, we go back here, and it's like, I forgive you, and we don't really want to be in relationship. We don't, we don't have that proximity with each other, that closeness that it takes to really begin to reconcile that relationship, to restore it, to improve communication. You cannot practice kindness and compassion and forgiveness from over there. You've got to actually be with the person, and that group of fifth graders learned that they had, if they wanted to work together to see things improve, to bring unity to what they were doing to their goal, they had to work together in a close-knit circle. Their relationship changed in the time that they were out there. And so when we begin to think of our lives like that, we begin to be people that are then slow to speak. We're slow to grow angry, we're quick to listen. We begin to hear each other's hurts. We begin to hear the fears that are often underlying these hurts that we've caused. We grow in love. We're people of kindness, compassion, forgiving one another just as Christ forgave you. We're not here to win arguments. We're not here to score points. We're here to make a difference. And that's our calling, and that's been the calling of Horizon Church, to shine light and ignite change. 
Our purpose here is to make a difference in this world, to see God bring unity to people, to bring unity to all people. And so as we end this series, I want you to join me in prayer today. God, there's so many spots in our lives where we've grown frustrated, we've grown angry, we've grown bitter. We see those around us as those people, people that we don't want to be near, that we want to avoid. But we, God, we know that there are times in our own lives where we are those people, those very people that frustrate others, that annoy others. God, give us the eyes to see where we've caused harm. God, help us to be people that shine your light, that bring love and forgiveness. God, help us to be people of kindness and compassion. God, right now, I pray for relationships in this room, for relationships that need healing, that need more clear communication. God, I pray that your spirit, that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead would be at work right now. Work right now to bring that restoration, to bring the wholeness, to bring unity. God, I thank you for your love that overwhelms us, for the grace that we don't deserve, even when we've messed up. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.